Welcome to the Nemeth Report podcast. I'm Dr. Tammy Nemeth, energy historian, analyst, consultant, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Catherine Swift, president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges and opportunities confronting small and medium-sized businesses in the net zero energy transition in Canada. But before we get started, Catherine, if you could just take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience, your background, how you came to be the president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Sure. Thank you, Tammy. Um, well, I've spent most of my career, in fact, virtually all of it, uh, defending the interests of small, medium-sized business. I was the president and CEO of a larger organization called the Canadian Federation of Independent Business for almost 30 years. And then I sort of quasi-retired. I was still dabbling, but, you know, I wasn't uh, uh, that engaged. Uh, and then uh, m my friend Jocelyn Bamford, who uh, founded the coalition, uh, came after me and asked me if I would consider uh, being president. And it is very much up the same alley as, as I've been doing, uh, but not as demanding in terms of travel. And, you know, I was traveling constantly. And after a while, that wears on you, as I'm sure you all well know. My background <laughs> is actually economics. I, I have an MA in economics. Uh, and um, I actually worked for the financial sector for a few years in my youth. Um, as a senior economist for Toronto Dominion Bank. So that was a good experience as well to work on Bay Street and, you know, get get that perspective. But but my first love is very much advocating for the small, medium-sized business sector, which is huge in virtually all economies uh, in Canada. It's about half of GDP and employment. And, of course, when you look at net new employment, the creation of jobs, typically around 80% of jobs, new jobs created come from the small, medium-sized business sector. So it's a huge factor in the job creation uh, department. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm like to read your, um, your monthly, I guess it's publication. And uh, I noticed that yes. the, the last one that, that you, uh, you wrote was about Alberta and the oil and gas industry and kind of pushing back against Ottawa. So that, it was really informative. I love to read that. It was, it's really good. Well, I highly recommend well, it. That's what we do. Yeah. And, and, and because you're used to it, you'll know this, but I think for any of your, you know, any of your people uh, that are interested, it's a free publication. Uh, we, we try to pick a topical issue every month. And of course there's so much topical stuff going on <laughs> right now. It's hard to choose sometimes, but um, you know, you can, you can uh, sign up for it on our website, which is just ccmbc.ca, and, and you'll receive it as well. And it's usually a fairly quick read. We have a number of articles on whatever the topic du jour is. And um, and yes, the last one, in, well, the last two, the previous one was electrification, of right. course. And then our federal government got even more punitive to our oil and gas sector so uh, there's been a there's a big battle brewing right now between our, our energy producing provinces alberta mostly but also saskatchewan yeah uh, and the government who wants to put climate change or whatever you want to call it these days net zero etc wants to put that ahead of the interests of canadians because like most countries we're suffering right now from um cost of living issues with inflation and canada's got a very bad record on productivity in recent years um and it we for example at one point we had comparable um uh, cost uh, um uh, standard of living performance with the u.s and now we're way below the U.S. We're about 30% below the U.S. So people are obviously noticing that, that, you know, standard living is pretty darn important to us. And, uh, and 
government in particular, and some provincial governments, haven't helped that by having quite elevated tax levels. Of course, we have one of the few countries in the world that has a fairly punitive carbon tax, um, as well as high income taxes and corporate taxes and awfully, awfully complicated regulation and red tape. So all of these factors have come together to uh, give Canada a not great economic uh, future. The OECD said of all the G7 countries, we're going to have the worst economic performance, not for the next few years, but for the next few decades, if we keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very happy news. Um, but, you know, for literally for decades, unless naturally we change course. So that's, you know, that's the other consideration. We're not doomed unless uh, if we change our ways. <laughs> well, I don't see that happening in the near future as long as we have the, the current uh, government in Canada. What's Agreed. interesting, you probably heard this or noticed this at the UN the, over the past couple days, Canada has been pushing for a global carbon tax. So with a floor price of, uh, you know, carbon emissions and um, and and. It was Canada that convened this panel, bringing in all these other players to try and get um, uptake for doing a global carbon tax. So it's not like just that they want to make Canadians suffer. I guess everybody needs to suffer equally in the world. Misery loves company, as they say. And of course, we're quite uncompetitive right now. We're losing our foreign investment performance is terrible. Our own domestic investment for performance is terrible. And one of the key reasons, not the only one, but one of the key reasons are these carbon taxes, because we also had introduced this clean fuel standard, as I'm sure you're well aware, which yeah. is like a second carbon tax. Uh, so um, there, there's no question we, we have major competitive issues right now time when the global economy is is looking like it's going to be declining whether we have official recession or not we're going to have sluggish performance uh, the, that evil word stagflation is coming uh, to the fore again yeah. um and and certainly you know the political fortunes of our current government i'm sure you're well aware uh, are are abysmal uh, because finally people are smartening up about the incompetence of Justin Trudeau if you if you really want to be honest about it uh, he's been incompetent for years, but that magic last name and, and you know, sort of his sometimes dashing presence has uh, has fooled people. Uh, the sizzle, unfortunately, is a lot more than the steak. Yes, for sure. Um, so, you know, in the context of Justin Trudeau and Stephen Guibault and what the Liberal NDP coalition is doing with respect to the net zero kind of policy framework, um, what are the challenges and opportunities facing your members within the energy transition? Our members, well, it's interesting because people think of manufacturing, they often think of autos because, auto, yeah. you know, we, we, it's, a, it's a very visible sector. Um, but when you when it, and, and in Canada, you know, it's it's quite uh, it's it's quite apparent and it often hits the headlines and so on. And it, it different parts of manufacturing are it's, are having different experiences with what's going on with the whole net zero. Autos are the auto sector, for instance, which is about 10 percent of manufacturing. So it's not by any means the predominant. Uh, actually, the biggest sector in Canada is food processing. The, the biggest manufacturing sector is food processing, but it's still autos. Ten percent is, you know, is pretty significant nonetheless. And um, they're not they're not having a problem because they've got billions and billions of our tax dollars subsidizing the whole electric vehicle situation. So they're, I mean, they realize they have challenges, of course, but they're actually kind of, you know, on the fence about it. Whereas virtually all of the rest of the manufacturing, you know, companies 
are uh, pretty strongly opposed to it. It's increasing their energy costs and energy costs. Well, they're important for any business, but hugely important for most manufacturers. Um, there's a there's a complexity to all of the red tape attached to it. Uh, and of course, small, medium sized businesses suffer from red tape much more than large companies. Everybody suffers from it, you know, but large companies typically have more resources that they can devote to to, to dealing with the red tape than small and medium sized firms. Um, and and of course, just the whole the whole cost issue with all the taxes that are being piled on and so on. This government has the, this federal liberal government has also been spending billions and billions of dollars <clears throat> to finance their friends forays into various uh, so-called green related businesses. Um, and they're very partisan, you know, it's basically billions of dollars given to their friends and often fairly uselessly, like like in the solar panels or, you know, whatever it is they're supposedly funding, uh, don't end up even getting produced. So it's it's very much a partisan pork barreling as opposed to any, any you know, creative uh, use of those funds. And we're in heavily in debt. We spent as a country during the pandemic, I mean, everybody you know, sort of blew the blew their budgets during the pandemic. But Canada spent uh, about twice as much per capita as other developed countries in the world. They dug a big hole. They, they it was like a fire hose with with money coming out of it, going to all manner of people, uh, often dead people. Interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> did pandemic assistance. So did the eighteen year old living in their parents' basement who had never had it so good. And our, our tax agency, the Canadian Revenue Agency, um, has has said, and this is so disgraceful, I could barely believe they would say this with a straight face, but there's billions and billions of dollars they could recover in payments that were made to people that shouldn't ever have got them, um, the alive people as well as the dead. Uh, and um, they, uh, they said it wasn't worth the trouble to collect it. So you can imagine how that to taxpayers that they, you know, they, they try to squeeze us for every last penny that, you know, we might owe them, but they can't be bothered pursuing. It's like 15 to 20 billion dollars. I'm not talking, you know, chump change here. It's it's a lot of money. So there's been, you know, that that, of course, has made our debt. We're already getting warnings from rating rating agencies and stuff like that because we're in trouble. And naturally, with higher interest rates and a slowing economy, bad time to have massive, massive debt. For sure. And it's interesting that you say that about, you know, the manufacturers, it's, it's a push pull situation where there's all these subsidies out there. And it's like, okay, well, do I go for those subsidies in order to keep keep being in business? Or do I push back a little bit and say, you know, maybe I don't like the way that all these subsidies are going, because what happens when they run out? And it puts, you know, our children at risk, you know, the future, and that this isn't necessarily a good thing for the economy as a whole, maybe temporarily. Um, and so I, you know, I, I have empathy for, for the businesses. It's like, okay, do we jump on this bandwagon? Do we take advantage of this? Or, you know, what is the longer term implication? Um, do you have a sense that your members, um, are concerned about that long-term situation? And once those subsidies run out, then what happens? Yeah, very much so. I mean, they realize that high debts just mean future taxes. So, and everybody will be hit by those. Um, also, many, many manufacturing businesses are not eligible for subsidies. So, you know, the, the uh, people that are in uh, tool and die making, uh, you know, people that are in plastics, well, plastics are getting hammered and yeah. stupidly, stupidly. You know, I, it, it recently, the, the, this, our environment, Mr. Guibo, is a zealot. There's no other way to explain it. He doesn't seem to care about inflicting pain on Canadians if he can make very 
intangible in his own mind, I guess he thinks this is a big gain. But for example, plastic straws, they've recently discovered the paper straws contain all kinds of carcinogenic uh, chemicals in them. Uh, often, often the replacement is worse for the environment than the, the plastic item was in the first place. They're now talking about phasing out plastic food wrap, which I have no idea. A sanitary, you know, a very sanitary product keeps food safe, uh, fresh, etc. In fact, prevents a lot of waste because things don't go bad as quickly as they would without it. Uh, I, I can see major health problems coming if they if they try to do that. So, you know, these foolish, foolish um, policies that cost businesses money, attempting to put some businesses out of business to a certain extent. And um, in the plastics case, just to give you an example, there's a company out in Calgary that has done some very creative work making a bag, a, a grocery store bag that has no plastic in it. It's totally biodegradable. It's I don't know all the chemical, you know, ins and outs of it, but it's totally biodegradable in a land in a landfill. And the environment minister has said, uh, no, no, we're not going to approve that. So it seems that any, it, you know, it, it, it's not based on science at all. It's based on silly partisan politics and uh, ministers that, you know, they have their fixed views and they don't want to be confused by the facts, basically. Right. And I saw that story about the the non-plastic plastic bag and, and thought, yeah. hey, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. And the same thing with the plastic film, because, you know, they they started out with these five or six things that they wanted to ban with respect to plastic. And it was all the sort of things that the environmentalists were talking about. But if you read the list of what the environmentalists actually want to ban, it's like everything plastic. And yeah. and I'm thinking, OK, so does that apply to the molded plastic for their electric vehicles? You know, <laughs> where, oh, well, this is the hypocrisy, isn't it? Right. This is the hypocrisy. Plastics in the auto sector in general, even with, you know, internal combustion engines, have made them way more fuel efficient, so much lighter than, right. than a, a metal car, right? A steel car, whatever. And and uh, so the hypocrisy is, is, quite, uh, is quite stupendous, actually. So, yes, you're absolutely right. And the health health sector, how, how are we going to get through uh, 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 that pandemic? Plastics saved our bacon. You know, plastics were what kept things sterile, which, you know, clean things uh, and so on. Uh, the, doing Getting away from plastics in the, in the medical sector is absurd. And of course, every time you pick up a phone, every time you, you, you know, you use uh, uh, all manner of things, it's it's all coming from plastics. And That's they've made right, a big yeah. deal of so-called microplastics and whatnot. And yet when I've talked to science scientists who really understand the microplastics issue with health, um, it's it's a non-issue. It really isn't a health problem. So there's a lot of uh, just wrong information out there and, and virtue signaling, uh, you know, uh, that, that seems to grab headlines, but isn't doing a darn thing for the environment. You can say the same about our carbon tax in Canada. Our emissions continue to increase. So uh, underneath it all, we really have to question the, the whole premises on which this net zero silliness is based, because there's an awful lot of people that are coming on side to the view it's just one giant hoax that is uh, making a lot of people money, no doubt about that, uh, but not doing anything for the climate and hurting people much more than um, it would be if we just did, did some adjustment, you know, some some um, adjustments to climate changes uh, rather than draconian measures that impoverish a lot of people. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things that came out of this um, UN conference about um, a global carbon tax is the fellow from Norway was saying, 
Well, it's so great to have a carbon tax because then the government collects the money and can redistribute it where it thinks it's important. So they're taking it away. The governments are taking it away from their citizens in order to spend it where government central planners believe it ought to be spent. So you think you need to put fuel in your minivan to take your kids to soccer practice or hockey practice or whatever and run around to get groceries. But the government thinks, well, you're you should pay more for that so that they can turn around and spend that money on something else that you may not think is important, but the government central planners certainly do. Yeah. Well, that just shows you it's not a carbon tax, is it? It's just a tax. <laughs> it's just a tax. They, they won't yeah. spend it on whatever they decide is a priority today. And, and this is part of the problem with the international standards and whatnot that are being proposed for the whole ESG mess and environmental, social and, and governance and, and so on, uh, which if it proceeds is going to be an absolute nightmare. I, I can't believe it is going to proceed. And we're starting to see people back off from a lot of these things because the real life impacts, they're all, they all sound great in theory, right? Oh, we're going to do this nice thing for the climate and everybody will be happy. It'll be painless. It'll be wonderful. But of course, the reverse of that. And one of the things I've loved is the hypocrisy in saying in Canada, for example, they've cracked down on the oil and gas sector. Oil and gas sector is worth about 20% of emissions, 20, 22, 23 uh, it's the only sector they've done that with, uh, and other sectors are equal, are equal. The building building sector is roughly equal to the oil and gas sector. Didn't do anything there, and they they disaggregate among different products and the way they apply carbon taxes and, and ESG standards and all that kind of thing as well. For example, I'm sure you know all this, but uh, it, you know the windmill. One of the biggest uh, uh, emissions parts of it is the cement base, the concrete base, and it's a fairly big. You know, I think it's 80 percent of the emissions of ma- making a wind turbine. Um, where and they get a special break though; they don't have to count that concrete because it's a wind turbine and and what i'm hearing now now that we're seeing some of the earlier wind turbines at the end of their life the stuff i'm hearing about what they have to do with because it's not recyclable stuff you know they have to grind it up and they do all these ridiculous things with it and it's not it's not it's not green It's, it's same with environmental or evs same with electric vehicles they're not green when you really look Everything that goes into them, the rare earth minerals, and and on and on and on. So, again, we come down to a lot of lies being told by a lot of politicians who want to be viewed as leaders in this. And our prime minister is a classic example. But when you look at what's actually accomplished, it's nothing on the good side. Lots is accomplished on the bad side. And again, in I mean, Canada obviously is a first world country, but you look at some other uh, developing countries in the world, and these are horribly punitive measures, which is of course why they're not doing it. And of course, we've got the biggest polluters in the world basically saying to the ESG crowd, have a nice day. We're not going to be <laughs> this pain on our citizens. So, you know, it's, it's uh, Canada is responsible for about 1.5% of international uh, of global emissions so we we have to punish ourselves when the biggest emitters are uh, totally are, are building coal plants to beat the ban for example right and and china of course is a is the 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 poster child for that you know how many coal plants are they building and and it was funny because i think it was I forget which um, major news organization was trying to justify it, saying, well, they're using clean coal, so it's okay. The emissions aren't oh, yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah. we, we should do that okay. here in Canada and see, oh, yeah. how, see how they'd respond to that. Yeah. Right. Oh. And, 
You know, I'm glad that you brought up. The lies that are told are utterly outrageous. People should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, the idea of uh, the international standards and people who listen to my podcast have heard me talk about this before. And um, just as a sort of reminder, what we're talking about is the International Sustainability Standards Board and their sustainability and climate related financial disclosures. And what's interesting is that um, they released, they published their final first two of a proposed set of five back at the end of June. And Canada said that they're they're going to try and implement them and establish the Canadian Sustainability Standards Board in order to uh, work in lockstep to ensure the implementation and uptake in Canada. And so what's interesting is back in um, April in the Globe and Mail, the new chair of the Canadian Sustainability Standards Board said, oh, yeah, I would like to open up consultations. I want to hear from Canadians about what they think and so on. Um, but we're not going to talk to anybody until after the new standards come out. So the new standards come out. And now the the CSSB has updated their frequently asked questions and said, well, maybe we'll start talking to Canadians in the new year, in 2024. But my understanding, because they also talk about how they've done consultations already and that I've been talking to people who submitted comments to the, to the, the, these first two by the ISSB and none of the people I've talked to have been contacted by the CSSB, but yet I hear, Oh, well, we're, we're doing targeted consultation. Well, what's targeted targeted seems to mean insiders and those who will be a hundred percent in support of it rather than talking to a broad swathe of the population who's going to be forced to implement these measures, which have tremendous implications for cost um, with respect to doing the scope three emissions accounting um, and doing the scenario analysis, which is mandatory. So from that perspective with, for example, the emissions accounting and scenario analysis, what are the implications for your members, the small and medium sized enterprises? They're terrible, terrible. Um, and this is why I believe this thing's going to die because it's it's just so fraught with with ridiculous cost implications. The timing's very, very bad right now, but I think the timing would always be bad for this, frankly, even if the economy was you know robust and so on. Um, and the consultation is is uh, baloney in my view. They, um, I think, they are just talking to people they, that agree with them. If they're talking to anybody and consultations are often phony at the government level anyway and i wouldn't even i wouldn't even level that criticism at any particular political party all of them oh well we've consulted and then you look at who they've consulted it, you know the, the whole notion of electrification for example that's come out as a big deal in canada and when you look who's on these advisory panels they've got they are um utility companies now that makes sense because of course they're the people that should know sort of the nuts and bolts of the whole electrical grid and everything they've got some um some first nations groups which of course you have to have for political purposes and then they've got a whole bunch of environment environmental zealot groups no business groups nobody like us that could actually give you the logical perspective from a business standpoint and and the red tape involved in this is is un- unbelievable 
unbelievable. Um, uh, and of course, again, as I mentioned earlier, that, that falls most heavily on small and medium-sized business. We know uh, we uh, there's uh, quite a lot of integration between small business and large business. You know, uh, large businesses are buying certain products from small business and vice versa. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, exchange uh, transactions that go on uh, between those two sectors. And some of the large businesses have already come down on some of their smaller suppliers and said, oh, I need to see your books. No business wants, uh, you know, if there's competitive issues there, no business wants some other business to see their books. I mean, these are some of the nutty things that, that are happening. Um, and, oh, if you're not in compliance, then I'm going to cut you off at the knees. And, and as you well know, you know a lot more about this than I do, Tammy, but the subjectivity is a killer. This is supposedly going to be an accounting standard. <laughs> accounting standards should rely on facts. You know, it's an X or it's Y. There's no, oh, let me guess. Let's do a scenario here. Maybe two or three scenarios. And they're all effectively fiction. for down the road when you have nothing to do with it anymore as a business i mean this stuff is just insane and that's why i believe it's going to collapse under its own weight i, I really do uh it's, it's going to be horrible and of course you know so many countries in the world aren't doing this at all so let's just let's just slit our own throats while uh, you know continuing to buy tons of goods from the chinas and indias and so on although given what our prime minister said earlier this week i don't know that we'll be doing business much with india in the future, so that's a whole other ballgame. that's a whole <laughs> That's a whole other one. And yeah, um, but you're, you're right about the subjectivity of it. And thank you for bringing that up because one of the things that the ISSB is doing is they're, um, they have a taxonomy. And so they want all of this information to be digital. So a company will have to put, you know, conduct these um, uh, reportings in a software. And so they're developing a taxonomy with digital tags for a whole bunch of subjective information. So I would say half the standard is qualitative information where you're explaining this and why you think that and why you're not doing something and why you are doing something. But now it's going to be distilled into little tags. But, you know, like when you put tags on a, on a tweet or a Facebook page or a website or whatever, well, now they're going to distill all that information down into tags. And it will be the person filling out that information who will have to choose which tags apply to what it is they're saying. So I'm looking through, because they it's open for comment about this taxonomy, and I'm looking at it and thinking, oh my gosh, it's not enough that, you know, will people just be summarizing everything as tags rather than providing the information? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And now they have auditors. So um, there's the International Auditing and Assurance Standards Board that has for comment how they're going to uh, train people to audit this information because a lot of it they're proposing third-party verification and that all of this will have to be audited in alignment with their their financial statements which of course opens up liability issues and so on but so they're they're trying to figure out how do we audit this and I'm thinking well an auditor is trained as you say to do you know I'm looking to see if x and y add up 
and what these numbers are. But now you're going to have auditors making some kind of determination about very subjective information. And I don't even know how much that will cost. And as you said earlier, yes, big corporations may be be able to absorb some of that cost. Um, But these small and medium-sized businesses, I I really don't see how, even if they make it proportional, whatever that means, um, how will they go about finding the right accountant to do it and second of all, get it audited. And third of all, have a third party verified all the information they put in there. It's just, yeah. I, I don't it's see how, how that's feasible. It's a nightmare. It's not feasible. And uh, it, it, the notion that some small business person is going to be sitting down with all this immensely complex, uh, you know, paperwork and so on. Also, what kind of bureaucracy are we going to have to pay for to administer all this garbage? I've been really disappointed in the accounting profession and the consultants and so on, because they are, they are, they're all rubbing their hands together, seeing that they're going to make potfuls more money by this whole new complicated regime. Um, and it, they don't seem to see the big picture that it's going to be so destructive for the economy that uh, it, it's not going to be a win overall. And there's there's the the, the complexity, the, the 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 cost. Of course, businesses can't absorb costs as a rule. Maybe there's the odd one that can, but not many. They get passed on to everybody else. They get passed on to their suppliers, their consumers, <laughs> whatever it happens to be in that particular market. So we are in a time where we already have inflation issues. Well, welcome to even worse inflation issues. And in Canada, because the current federal government has such an insane focus. Uh, not on the economy or anything, you know, trivial like that, but all this uh, this climate garbage. Um, they fund. Oh, I can't even. There, there's a new environmental group that seems to pop up about every about every five minutes in Canada. They're all funded by the federal government, some provincial governments too, and they are very litigious. I can just imagine them trying to look for companies to make an example of suing them and a small firm medium firm can't deal with that kind of you know payment to lawyers and and ridiculous court costs and so on and so forth so there's just so many so many downsides with this whole thing it's it's uh it's i think it's quite unbelievable people think this is actually a feasible way to go about business well i what i find interesting is how it's really flying under the radar you know most businesses aren't really aware that this is coming that they, yep. you know a lot of it is i've heard that it's geared towards investors and so it's meant to affect those companies who have a lot of investors okay but all of like, as you said, in the supply chain, those bigger companies that have investors are purchasing things from smaller businesses. And these smaller businesses will have to provide their emissions profile because it's all part of the scope three where it's up and down the value chain. And so now this small company is going to have to figure out, okay, so what are the emissions in my operations and in the goods that I'm producing and shipping to to this supplier? I mean, how to, how would they even start and so on? So a lot of those businesses have really no idea i think maybe you're doing a good job in informing your members of of what's uh what's coming down the pipeline and you know honestly if let's say i know that quite often these consultations are a bit um astroturfy uh, but let's say that your organization was actually invited to a consultation what would you tell them what would you tell the cssb I would tell them a lot of what I've said to you, but frankly, I would itemize all the huge issues involved here, suggest that there are ways to go about, uh, like I say, adaptation to climate changes as opposed to heavily top-down, regulatory, punitive, you know, forced 
you know, forced measures that nobody can opt in or opt, opt out of and, and all that kind of stuff is it, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work without huge, huge damage. And again, for a country like Canada that seems to pretend it's a leader out there, <laughs> let's pretend it's a leader. Um, we're punishing ourselves when other countries are totally ignoring all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, I would just itemize all of the downsides for the small, medium-sized sector, which is half of our economy in Canada, which is not, uh, you know, not Trump change. Unfortunately, uh, the current government probably would, it, it's never had a good uh, handle on small business. Left-leaning governments never do. They like the large crony capitalists, and uh, and that's about it. The small, medium-sized business sector, I mean, when Trudeau was first elected, he actually called small businesses tax cheats because he felt they were, you know, registering as a, as a Canadian-controlled private corporation, which is what, you know, it's sort of, it's a tax measure that you, you register in that category. And, and that was just such an outrageous and wrong claim. But it certainly showed his bias. Uh, you know, I, I like my big corporate buddies. I meet with them, uh, you know, they'll probably give me a board seat or two when I'm retired and at a nice rate of compensation and so on and so forth. So, but it, the notion of awareness is, is a big, big factor and not just with this, but my, I've worked with small business for decades now. And uh, I've said to them, do you know, whatever, it's a tax change or it's a regulatory change or whatever. And I'll say, do you know this is coming? Oh, they wouldn't do that. They would, I said, oh yeah, they would do that. Yeah. <laughs> they do it. And people say, why didn't you tell us? Well, actually, we tried to, but you thought they wouldn't do that. And this is the mother of all, the mother of all regulatory fiascos is what this whole ESG and, you know, uh, it, it, like I say, I, I, my, my, my common sense self uh, seems to, you know, think it, it, it's going to collapse. It has to collapse or be radically simplified or, uh, it, you know, it's, it's very much a political hot potato as well. And here in Canada, we, we don't know for sure, but the next, the next scheduled election is in roughly two years from now. So um, if Trudeau government gets defeated, I suspect a lot of this is going to be dropped by a conservative government. My concern is that, as you point out, with like some of the the companies that are getting these subsidies and if you look at the automakers once they start making these factory changes like we're seeing here in the UK where uh, Rishi Sunak has kind of uh, paused a little bit the progression of net zero saying you know we're going to set back the uh, phasing out of internal combustion engine till 2035 instead of the 2030 that they'd arbitrarily chosen and now yeah. some of the auto manufacturers are saying well wait a second we've already we're making these commitments already why are you backing off now and my fear is that if all of these things get implemented and companies start making the changes, um, they will be upset that, you know, the rules are changing again and we've made these investments. Now what? And I think maybe yeah. my argument to them would be, well, OK, you've maybe invested a little bit in trying to uh, initiate these changes, but you're going to make far more with them gone. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And governments do this all the time. Uh, with our sales tax system, for example, um, the the province of British Columbia totally reversed. They got an NDP government that totally reversed. And firms had already changed their computer software, you know, changed everything they needed to do to conform with one sales tax regime. And then they had to undo it all later. So it's not like this isn't without precedent to, you know, to change policies. But I think this is this is going to be so time consuming, at least in the Canadian context. There's no way this is going to be in place in two, two years anyway. Uh, and most of the companies that are doing stuff like making EVs, et cetera, 
getting paid potfuls of money to do it. So I don't, I don't know that I feel too sorry for them, to be honest. And one of the issues we're seeing right around the world right now is the, the adoption of EVs, for example, is way less than you know, governments that are promoting this agenda want it to be. People have a lot of resistance to EVs. We're seeing, we saw, we saw recently in, in Toronto, where I live, uh, that an apartment building outlawed EVs because they're afraid of fires in their parking garage. Yeah. So there's, you know, that people, once they get experience with some of this stuff, it doesn't look quite as, you know, it doesn't look quite as attractive as, as the sales job would have suggested. So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of reckoning coming in the next little while. So if I can just go back a little bit to the ISSB standards. Um, so if I'm playing devil's advocate and, and I'm trying to say, well, there's a reason for scope three emissions and it can be helpful and for people to identify precisely what their impact is uh, in, in emitting and as part of their thing. Can you see any upside to for all these businesses to be including scope three emissions? Because the critical side of me is saying, yeah, but okay, that's everybody's accounting for what somebody else has already accounted for. And so it ends up distorting it and, you know, amplifying the numbers when it should really only be whatever everybody's scope one is if you're going to be accounting for these things. Well, also, it gets into the total realm of the subjective. You know, as you've said before, you're trying to predict the future. I'm an economist. We we can never do that. Let me tell you, <laughs> the only the only thing that's in doubt is how wrong you're going to be. Going to be a little bit wrong. Going to be really wrong. You know. So so I think that's the biggest problem with it, and the the work that would be involved with with scenario building and you know all that kind of stuff is is madness. Madness. So yes, why not? If if you are going to proceed with this, which again I don't think should be proceeded with, um, then sticking with the factual base of it uh, would naturally be the most sensible, uh, the most sensible way to go. And certainly for the small or medium sized business that are going to be, they're going to feel like they've been run over by a truck when when if they see some of this stuff, it's 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 very, very, uh, very deadly. <laughs> okay, so um... That all being said, you have smaller companies and maybe some of them wish to grow and, and find investors. What do you think should be the main sort of consideration that investors take into account when they're trying to decide whether or not to put their money into a company? Well, I'm a believer that companies are there to make money for their employees to retain, to create jobs, retain their employees with the healthy wages and benefits and uh, their investors, uh, their shareholders, if they, if they are, you know, if they're a public company um, and so on. So uh, all of the and, and people are starting to people are starting to uh, realize that a lot of these so-called green uh, mutual funds and so on and so forth don't tend to do too well financially. So, you know, I guess, you know, how, how, how well you feel about your investments, uh, maybe that starts to erode a little bit when you're losing money, you know. <laughs> And what worries me is when I see public sector pension plans saying we're not putting any money into oil and gas, we're going to, you know, and then they lose money. And who's on the hook? We, the taxpayer, are on the hook, which is which is ridiculous. You want to make a decision like that? Then you finance it. And, and if it fails, you should, taxpayers should not be on the hook, but obviously they, they are. Um, so and our, our, our CEO of Suncor in Canada, I'm sure you saw this came out recently and said, going forward, we're going to put less emphasis on 
all this ESG and, you know, uh, net zero and so on. We're going to put emphasis on making money. And in that way, we should be able to fund some of the environmental, uh, environmentally, you know, sound um, policies, things like carbon capture and storage, which, by the way, doesn't tend to get factored in to a lot of these assessments. In Canada, you know, we've got a lot of land and a lot of trees that are carbon sinks. So a lot of people believe that we are actually not a net emitter at all because anything we emit is absorbed by these massive forests and so on that we have in Canada. And yet these things aren't factored in either to the whole, you know, the whole equation. So um, I would, I mean, as an investor myself, boy, I, I look at the bottom line and uh, naturally if a company's doing something, uh, and, and, you know, obviously, they're probably breaking the law, for example, and so on, and that ruins their reputation. So people will be much less likely to invest, uh, you know, and so on. Uh, but um, but and that gets back to another point. I think is interesting. This this whole um, this whole regime is predicated on the belief that businesses won't do the right thing if that you don't impose this mega, you know, mega bureaucracy red tape on them. And yet the vast majority of businesses do the right thing. Certainly small, medium-sized businesses. They tend to be very integrated with their communities. They want to be perceived positively in their communities. And they're not, they're, some of them are involved internationally, but the vast majority are not. And they, they, there's always bad actors in any, in any group, but the vast majority are trying to do the right thing. And this is a way to turn them off doing the right thing to say no you have to you know have to adhere to this this absurd expensive uh, virtually impossible system <laughs> that's a really good point that you know most businesses as you say are trying to be good actors and you're right the government views that as they can't be good actors unless they they're told by government what to do and then which is very much a nanny state sort of central planning uh mentality um yeah. which is unfortunate i and, you know, one of the things you talk about how the CEO of Suncor, well, he's being called in front of various parliamentary committees now, which bothers yeah. me. It's like this Americanization of the Canadian system. You know, before there was kind of these committee meetings, but it was no big deal. Now we call witnesses and testimony and all this kinds of stuff, which, you know, I'm like, why? Why do you need to do that? I mean, shouldn't you be talking to your constituents? Why do you need to grandstand in parliament that's, that's can, exactly what it is know. though tammy it is grandstanding that is exactly and this this particular liberal government and i have in my long career of being an advocate i've w worked with very successfully with liberal governments before so i don't want to imply that they're all bad they're not the the previous the liberal government under under first jean Chrétien and then paul martin we had very successful uh interchanges and and they had they had they had business people in their caucus though they had a clue about why <laughs> things are good for the economy and things are bad they had a clue about that the current guys don't at all they're a bunch of ideologues who have often worked for um, non, you know, uh, environmental organizations, say in the past, and so on. Trudeau himself, you know, he was the guy that famously said when inflation was starting to take off, "You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy." He had no clue, seemingly, and he said it in a very proud way, like, "I, I don't bother, you know, I don't bother with such little picayune issues." Of course, monetary policy is all about inflation, or more or less, right? So he, he clearly demonstrated his own ignorance on that. So uh, it's all politics all the time with this particular liberal government we have now. So they can grandstand, they can look look like they're hauling these 
evil, rapacious business people on the carpet. They recently had a, a bunch of senior grocery executives in in the parliament for this precise, you know, process uh, because they're saying they're they're gouging people, and yet their own government studies have been done to show their margins aren't any different on balance than they were five years ago, pre-pandemic, and so on. But it is it's pure grandstanding, and it and it does terrible damage to people's because your average person who doesn't get into the nitty gritty like you and I do say probably thinks, yeah, these guys are gouging me. And yet, you know, it's just a very destructive, divisive type of um, approach to take. And it, it's not good for the country, not good for the economy, just not good for Canadians. Well, it's also shifting blame, because if you look at what's actually causing the inflation, it isn't necessarily what what the government is saying it is. And, oh, you oh, know, oh, I, I don't know, they're not responsible for anything. If you listen to them, right, nothing right. And and nothing so with respect to these new standards, just imagine what the grocery inflation will be with these new standards. It would just be adding on yet another layer of regulatory um, expenses that companies will have to do. And when I was looking at what the standards would be required for grocery stores, oh my gosh. And yeah. it's like, yeah. holy crap. And, and especially like the little corner store, the kinds of information that they'll be requiring. How many free range chicken eggs do you sell? What about, uh, you know, know, and all of these ridiculous things. And I'm like, as if a dude who has a, a, a corner market is going to be you know, he, he's working how many hours or she's working how many hours yeah. and now they have to spend time itemizing how much fair trade stuff gets sold, how many free yeah. range eggs get sold. OK, because they want to know the percentage, the percentage of free range eggs sold. Well, what if the people don't buy them? Are they now going to be penalized by the banks or the insurers that I'm sorry, you're not yeah. selling enough free range eggs? Maybe that's all you should sell so that you can bring your numbers up. So. What, what concerns me is that on the one hand, they're saying a lot of these standards are meant for investors. But the reality is that a lot of these standards are meant for banks and they're meant for insurance. That's right. It's not just the investors. And so um, when you look at what the what the banks will have to report, they need to provide the complete emissions accounting for their entire portfolio. Everybody who has a bank account will have to um, they'll either estimate what your emissions are or they're going to ask you. So if they if you have a business account with with uh, one of the big banks, um, they'll be asking you for this information if it becomes mandatory. And even now, if they decide to voluntarily adopt these standards, which is a possibility given how many of Canada's major banks have signed on to the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, they could very well be asking you as a small business that has a little bank account with one of the big one of the big banks. What's your emissions profile? I need to know how many free range chicken eggs you're selling. I need to know how much pork or beef you're selling that is sustainable. Um, Where do your avocados come from? Is there endangered water supplies around there? I mean, it's 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 madness. It's just madness. And you're right. And this is why your average small business owner is so consumed with just running their business. They don't have the resources. They don't have an in-house accountant or whatever that they can fob off a lot of this stuff on. And so I can see them closing their doors, frankly. I can see them going under. And yeah. red, red, I've seen studies that show that uh, seasoned business owners that have owned a business for years would think twice about it uh, for the reason of if they ever had to do it again because of red tape. That was the yeah. principal thing that drives them nuts. Yeah. And so this, here we have a government that wants to add more red tape. Just another layer. 
it's a huge layer. Yeah. It's a huge layer. So talk about grocery inflation. <laughs> Let's just yeah. add this to the to the mix. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Hold my beer. Hold my- <laughs> That's a good place to end it. You know, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have to run and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and get the viewpoint of uh, what small and medium businesses are encountering with the transition. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tammy. And I want to say thanks to you because you're early on in this. You helped me understand this a lot because you know a lot more about it than I do. And when I was writing op-eds in the newspapers and stuff, you were you were good enough to review them to make sure I wasn't putting my you know foot in my mouth or whatever. And I really <laughs> appreciate that. You were very generous with your with your expertise. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you very much. Okay.